0: There are some things that are best done with your manager. And then there are other things that are really best done with your personal coach that allow you to have a safer space to explore and be vulnerable. Welcome to NPS
1: I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone, from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between, to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Porter Williams is the Director of Customer Success at BetterUp, and in this episode, Porter and I discuss how to make your QBRs better than every other vendor, what Porter learned in his previous life as a performer that helps him in the tech world, and why role-playing might just be the one skill missing from your CS arsenal. I have to start with the obvious. I mean, it's, I feel bad for our audience that this isn't a video podcast because you have a top-notch mustache, not only now, but all your profile pictures anytime you turn up for an event. Is that a lot of upkeep, grooming? What's your mustache <laughs> maintenance like?
0: Let's get to the really important stuff first, Ben. Um, yeah. Right off the bat. Yeah. The question on everybody's mind. I am a big fan of the Grave Before Shave mustache wax line. It's excellent. You can buy it on Amazon and probably at your local grocery store. It's awesome. I'm partial to the bourbon scent. Thank you. Um, (laughs) It does take a fair bit of, uh, it does take a fair bit of, you know, just regular ongoing trimming. And I I go to a barber once a month to get my hair did and um, also she'll, she'll touch up the mustache then and I'll do upkeep on it in between, but it's definitely not something that I can usually just roll out of bed uh, and have the ends perfectly curled out like a little broom and I look like a drowned (laughs) rat after a shower.
1: Fair enough. So I also wanted to ask you about game design and RPGs because you mentioned before that there's a lot of things that people can learn. There's a lot of ways that this has positively impacted your career. So curious, what's the tie in there? Why should, should more people be
0: playing RPGs and why? I'm a huge fan of role-playing games as well as like tabletop board games and game design in general. And actually my wife is a, uh, gamification specialist for like e-learning and products. And so the two of us just geek out like crazy on this stuff. And so there's a, first of all, like when you dig into game design, you're digging into steering people's motivations and actions and what you choose to focus on has a real impact. There is no such thing as like neutral game design. Game designs are inherently opinionated in terms of what they steer the players towards in terms of incentives, in terms of strategies. And that applies whether it's a board game, whether it's a role playing game, or whether it's a product that drive and you're trying to drive user adoption. So the levers of motivation and the signals that you send your your players or your users are super important. And so related to this, actually, one of my favorite books that I think every CSM should read is Switch by Dan and Chip Heath, which is a really excellent change management book. And it's all about these, you know, helping pull the right levers of motivation to get people emotionally going the direction you want them to go. I think it's required reading for every customer success professional. I will have to do that. But it applies to game design in the route of what are the things you're setting up as your incentives, as what people are going for and what their win conditions are going to be. And I love games, especially that have a... And or not, not an organic, a um, developing win condition where there's multiple paths to success. And when you start the game, you don't quite know what your optimal path will be because it will depend on how some of your different things play out early on that are real, that are chance. And then you realize this is the path I have. This is my opportunity. I'm going to go with it and see if you can win emergent, emergent win conditions. I really enjoy those. So yeah, those are some things I really like. That's really cool and very applicable to CS. Role-playing games are kind of their own space. They're a they're a real like thing unto themselves. But what's really fun there is that you walk in and you have a sense, you might have a sense of where a given scene is going to go, but it's improvisation. And there are some really awesome actual play podcasts out there like Critical Role and The Adventure Zone that are that. Rival TV drama for their excitement, and it's improvised. Oftentimes, those are professional actors playing a game, but still, the improv and the ability to walk in, read the situation, and find your path through dynamically with other people is actually a really useful skill, I think, for anyone in a customer-facing role. I think role-playing games are actually a really good experience. Role-playing activities, like role-playing drills, I don't love. But I love role-playing games, so, you know.
1: Fair enough. Well, I mean, you, you couldn't segue better into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which you mentioned improv. You have a background in musical theater. I do. That was what you did your degree in. <laughs> I talked to someone recently who was talking about how theater degrees, you know, you should look, if you're hiring for CS, look for theater backgrounds because there's this great translation. Do you agree? And, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure you do considering your role, but why do people in theater make a great make great CS professionals?
0: I think people from theater backgrounds have a really good leg up for any customer-facing role for a couple really key reasons. First of all, let me let me set the record straight. I did not intend this transition. My path from theater to customer success w- is not replicable. That it was wasn't completely planned. by accident, but it has turned out very well. And I think there's definitely something to follow here. So the reason I think it's so it's uh, a particularly a appropriate degree for customer facing roles is that presentation skills are so important and the ability to walk into a room and own that room and get everyone listening to what you're saying and make whatever you're saying the most compelling, important thing they've heard that week. Mm -hmm. That is real goal. And most theater people can do that.
1: Yes. If they're instructed, I'm just flashing back now to some early QBRs I did. And that never occurred to me. But I love that mentality of, if you're going in to do a QBR and EBR presentation to a customer, how can you make that the most important thing that they've listened to that week? Yes. That is a brilliant piece of advice that I've never heard in my life, but would have been helpful a few years ago.
0: It's actually, (laughs) right now, we're on a... We've been iterating on our QBR process at BetterUp since I got here, and it's a big ongoing journey. But we've we've spent the last year focusing on, on tooling and streamlining and, drive, but, and driving consistency. But our next big step that we are explicitly stating is really trying to transform the experience to dramatically raise the bar and make all of our customers look at their other vendors and go, why can't you be more like BetterUp? I look forward to every QBR I go to there. Yes. Our QBRs are interesting because we are blessed with the richest data set I have seen in my career. It is crazy the amount of data we have. And that is both a a blessing and a trap. It's a blessing because you can show up with proof and rigor and you can really have back up what you're trying to say with well-proven science and things like that. But you can also... Really show up with 50 pages of charts, slam your customer over the head with a phone book of slide deck, and there not be any story. So what we're really trying to up-level and focus on is how do we really pick the pieces of data that tell the story that we want to tell and make sure that the story and the experience of human transformation, which is what better up's all about, that that is the forefront and the data is there to ensure that it's taken seriously and that it can stand up to inquisition. I love that. Yeah,
1: a short slide deck, long appendix is always a good strategy yes. just in case, yes. but the story comes first. People remember stories as well, right? So it goes back to what you're saying about the most important thing they've heard all week or maybe the most memorable thing, you want it to stick with them, you tell them a story. I used to be in healthcare and it always made a massively different impact. You know, we could say, okay, for these 8,000 patients we reduced their length of stay by half a day or which translates into I don't know, $3 million in in saved revenue. Or we could say, you know, this is Susan. Susan had her heart surgery on Tuesday, and instead of saying until, you know what I mean, and we could tell Susan's Mm -hmm. story, and what do you think that the executive team remembered the next day and told to everyone else and wanted to do PR on? It was about Susan. It wasn't about the thousand
0: patients, so. Yes. Yeah, excellent point. Going back to the theater thing, there's one other thing I want to say that I think is really important that I don't hear people talk about very much, and that is feedback. So, Mm. When you get a degree in theater, you get absurd amounts of feedback every day in class, your teacher and your classmates, what you put yourself up in front of them and you pour your heart out and then they tell you everything you did wrong and you learn to say, thank you. And then you go get better. You don't argue. That's the quickest way to get thrown out of a production is to argue with your director giving you feedback. You say thank you and then you go figure it out taking learning how to accept feedback and action on it is this incredible skill that a lot of people don't develop and it allows you to be successful in so many areas in life and it's so that but that's something that theater explicitly prepares you to do yes. is to take that feedback and go do something different
1: come back you learn that you Don't die from getting negative feedback, which is always great. That too. Because even the first step of what you mentioned, which is putting yourself out there, like Mm -hmm. something you've been working on, whether it's a monologue or it's a a presentation to an executive team, it's putting your work and, and you and bearing yourself and putting yourself out there at exposure, right? You're putting yourself theoretically at quote unquote risk and just being able to do that in general. And then I think, like you said, adding that extra element of then getting feedback and getting better. Each time is huge. Do you ever do exercises like that with your CS team? You ever make them learn a monologue and or or you know practice their presentations internally for a team before doing it for the customer?
0: Something we do is we do a QBR certification focus uh, or, or activity for new CSMs where they have to they go through all of the technical work of preparing the slides and the data and the data analysis. And there's a whole workflow that goes into that. But then we sit down with a, a team of our experts and they they present the insights portion of their deck, which is the hardest section to be credible and clear and accurate with. And we ask and we have them go through that and we are we give them a lot of feedback around how they're approaching, how they're talking about it. And what we don't do though, and I actually to, to your point. Is actually giving me now wondering why I haven't done this before. Is actually having the team do more team feedback with each other for some of these things. I think that could be a really valuable exercise, um, not as a role play, but as a like let's present your piece and let's just give you feedback on that. I think uh, I think you can do that well for s- pieces of of stuff. I think when anytime we're t- taking something in front of a customer, we have to you know work in chunks because you have to allow for the the space with the customer and the interactions and all that kind of stuff but I think there's a, a real ability to prepare in in segments definitely
1: so it must be a lot that's being shared you said there's an insights portion like do you, you divide up these presentations into like multiple sessions or
0: yeah so we have a our, our qbrs cover a couple of sections there's we open with a fairly typical kind of adoption and engage uh, user engagement kind of stats that are kind of baseline importance basically amounts to are people using it and are they liking it, which is the least important thing once you get past a threshold of good. Right. And that's actually been a consistent theme I've seen over the years in, in is trying to get customers to move beyond adoption as where they focus. Like, let's focus on adoption to the point that it's good. And now let's focus on outcomes that you're seeing in your business. And for these, uh, from the use of it rather than focusing on the use of it. At a certain point, that ceases to be interesting, and people can really get spun around the axle uh, and uh, uh, like over focusing on adoption when it's like you've reached a good point. You're now in the area of diminishing returns. Like, yeah, you might be able to improve this by 3%, but how much does that really matter? Let's focus on something else.
1: Right. That makes a lot of sense. Do you ever get pushback on that or people? You know, so like, and do you find, in tr- is it like, I know some, tr- sometimes companies like SaaS companies will, it seems to want to focus on adoption because maybe adoption's really good and maybe they don't have outcomes data that shows, oh, here's the, you know, the amount of money you've saved or here's this. So let's just focus mm-hmm. on these leading indicators into what we think is value. Like, is there ever an issue there or do you have like a really comprehensive way now to show, to translate adoption into dollars and cents or th- or the other desired outcomes that companies are looking for?
0: Oh, there's always there's definitely issues. It's very it's at in fact in our customer journey, we built our customer journey to be focused on signals that we see from the customer that tell us they're they're advancing in the right places, that their heads in the right place, rather than activities that we do. Mm -hmm. And one of the explicit signals along the way is, are they moving beyond adoption to focus on these these outcomes instead? That's a pivotal point, and not everyone gets there. So right. it's not guaranteed, and it's not always easy. It's you know it's very common for people to focus on adoption entirely, and that's correct and right early on. Once adoption and engagement has reached a good point, then let's try to we're we're now trying to shift their focus to something that's more interesting. That that comes through a lot of education and consulting from your CSM. And it's an it's a important pivot point that the CSM has to really navigate with the customer, helping them see what the adoption is leading to. That now, okay, now people are doing it. Great. We've established that. Let's actually look at what they're doing and what that leads to for them. And that starts getting way more interesting. And once our goal is actually to be able to send the adoption engagement stuff in a pre-read and then not even have to spend time on it in a QBR... Beyond our first QBR. It is the it is an important focus in your first QBR with a new customer. You're using it. But it should, if it's still your focus nine months later, you're missing the boat and they're probably not focusing on the right value.
1: Right. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's a great point. Do you find, I mean, you guys have customers, I mean all sorts of customers, Hilton, NASA, Chevron.
0: Yeah. Or do you
1: have to do a lot of education not only around better app and how to use it, but on just Buying a, a SaaS product or implementing a SaaS product or how to measure the success like is that a new concept for a lot of these companies or are they sort of familiar with it now?
0: We're in an interesting space. We are absolutely bringing something that is very traditionally done through analog service providers like boutique coaching firms, and we're selling it in a SaaS model and we're managing it like a SaaS product. A lot of our customers begin in a from a point from a mindset though of of a traditional service provider. So again, right. there's a journey we kind of have to take them on to help them think about shift differently from a you know programmatic intervention to more of an adaptive, an adaptive platform for precision talent development for people. And that's a that's a shift. And education is a huge part of that. So BetterUp has a lot of science uh, behind it, and we put up, we've published a lot of white papers. We have a whole arm of our company that are actively doing talent development research and publications to give us the credibility and the the foundation for what we say our service does for people. That can be very overwhelming. So, as we there we've actually kind of identified there's a key element of education that has to happen over time for our our champions to give them the foundation so that when we sit down for a QBR we actually don't have to explain everything that's behind some of our key science. We call it the whole person model, which is our kind of our foundation of measuring where people are at and then how they grow throughout a coaching experience or a personal development experience. And there's a lot in there, and we have to start small with educating them around the general framework. and then over time, we start building more confidence and uh, understanding for for that champion. And again, another key point in our customer journey is their confidence to be able to tell the story without us in the room. Mm, that's a big marker. It's huge. It's enormous. Yeah. As we've done some discovery with customers, they'll tell us like, I'm nervous to talk about you guys internally because I feel like I am one question away from not knowing what I'm talking about. They're, right. So they they feel exposed if they try to talk to internal people about our results and our the data that we shared with them because they feel like if they can't go three layers deep underneath the chart that they can't talk about it at all. So we have to really help them grow over time in their own confidence so they can be the champion when we're not in the room. And that's a big deal. I was sitting in a QBR with one of my team members a couple of weeks ago and it was the coolest thing ever because our champion there, there was probably 10 minutes where our team said nothing and he was evangelizing to his people in the room. And I was like, yes, that's goal right there.
1: That's the magic CS moment is when you don't even have to give the QBR, your champion gives the QBR. They know the product, they know the results, they know the platform, they can get up there, they do it. And then, I mean, the trustworthiness is through the roof now with their colleagues. And uh, that's, you know, you've made it with a customer when they're doing the presentation and your team can just sort of sit back and then answer questions after.
0: And that is hard, harder for us because of the level of science and rigor going underneath it. It's intimidating. So that's a journey. That's a thing we like intentionally help our champion develop through over time so that they can, they can grow into that. And it, but it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like a one thing you do flips the switch. It's a lot of investments with that person over time.
1: So, I mean, we're going to get a little meta now because you're talking about... Okay, so first, your, your customers are buying a, pro, a, a coaching pro product. And then now you're, you're talking about coaching your customers so they can talk about the coaching product. And now I want to ask you about how you use it internally. So how you're coaching the people who are coaching the customers buying the coaching product.
0: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it is super meta. Um, so everyone at BetterUp uses BetterUp. Every one of us, and it's interesting because there are some things that are best done with your manager, and then there are other things that are really best done with your personal coach that allow you to have a safe, a safer space to to explore and um, be vulnerable and. I try to encourage that in my teams as well. But I also always recognize that like there's inherently going to be different conversations they're able to have with their coach that they're not going to have with me. And both are important. But the manager as coach thing is incredibly impactful within an organization. And so how we develop our teams is actually something that is talked about a lot. At better up. It's a major topic of our leadership meetings. We've been talking about talent density as one of our critical goal, like what is that progression steps as a company. Um, talent density is a concept about the quality of the people on your teams relative to the number of headcount. And there's a and it's the idea that like. Weak talent in your teams drags everyone down around them. And so it basically amounts to the idea of having all a, a whole team of A players. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was introduced from the book about Netflix, but that's where I was first introduced to it through our leadership education here at Veteran. But it's a thing we actively discuss of like, what are you doing to improve the talent density in your teams, building your people up? helping your A players get even better. And we, t- we look at it really hard in our hiring. So I have been pushed to become a better coach as a manager here at BetterUp than I have before. And it's, it's been a
1: journey for me too. What's something that you've been focused on improving for yourself as a
0: coach? Recognizing that I don't need to have the answer. And even if I think I have an answer in my mind, it's often good for me to just shut up and ask them and get help my team member think through their options. I easily, if, I, if, if I'm self-reflecting a bit, I, it's very easy for me to, to jump in and say, I have the answer. And I was always that kid in elementary school who raised his hand the second the teacher asked a question. And that was fine when I was leading a team of more of a earlier career CSMs years ago who would maybe this was their first CSM job and there was a lot more instruction needed. I'm now leading a team of very seasoned career professionals who know what they're doing. They just may not have the answer right in front of them for this moment that they're yeah. dealing with, but the answers are inside them. And so help. it's been a real shift for me to recognize and respect their expertise and respect their capability and just help them find their answer and not need to be the one, not need to have it for them. Uh, you were talking about a
1: bit before about the differences between the conversations that people can have with their coaches versus what they can have with their managers. Because I personally have a couple of people I consider mentors, but I don't have an external coach.
0: Why should I have one? It's a really good question. So mentor, a lot of people get confused about the importance, the difference between mentor and coach. So mentors are meant to have had experience Walking the path you're trying to walk and they guide you from their person, you know, from their personal experience, uh, their learnings, passing on that wisdom and helping you navigate those situations. And a coach very likely doesn't have experience in that in that space, and they don't need to, because the entire principle of coaching is helping you navigate your own paths again, it kind of goes back to this belief that we are whole, intact people who can solve our own problems. And your a coach is going to help you think through your solutions, aligning with your values, helping you ensure that you are thinking about things in the right way, not necessarily from a business perspective from a like metrics and operations perspective, but from a, how are you Ben going to address this situation? And what are your options and what is your desired outcome? And what are the right steps that you, what's the next thing that you can do to get you closer to that? A mentor is much more likely to be taking an approach of, well, here's how I walked that road 10 years ago and sharing it from an experience perspective. So it's they're both super valuable and oftentimes a mentor can act as a coach, but they are different.
1: Mm, interesting. I haven't heard that distinction before, but that's actually helpful because we're doing an event on how to be a great coach because of our coaching corner program. Yeah, We're doing that, I think, next, uh, at the end of the month. So this is great insight to have. Awesome. Well, I wanted to ask a little bit more about the CS topics that, you know, because I know you have really cool setup at BetterUp and you're, you know, quite advanced in terms of the system and processes that, that you've had. So specifically around success planning and value recognition, you know, you mentioned that you've tried to roll out previously, but you know what I want I'm curious what what makes it work really well at BetterUp. And for people who are trying to build out some of the, those processes and do more success planning, what, is, is there something you figured out? Is there something you think that most people miss?
0: So there, first of all, I think it's important there to, to acknowledge that the term "success planning gets used in different ways across the you know customer success universe. And so it means different things to different people. So let me maybe start with what success planning means to me. And that is really agreeing with the customer on their vision, for why they are making an investment in your solution in their terms. So the way we've implemented this at BetterUp is it's an early strategic alignment uh, workshop right after the deal closes, coming right out of the sales process. And it is in fact, a direct extension of the sales process, because throughout the sales process, that vision should be getting built, particularly in a strategic sale, which is the realm we're in. And so we're sitting down with the executive sponsor and helping them articulate what is their big why? What is the vision? Why is this worth spending a million dollars on? What is that going to mean for your business? And putting it in their words. And so it's a co-created thing. Not as opposed to something where we show up in, here's your success plan. Here are the steps you're going to follow in order to reach your outcomes. I find that doesn't work usually. So Especially if you do it in that voice. It's <laughs> definitely in that voice. <laughs> so, yeah. so we help them articulate their big why. I'm using air quotes. We call it the big why. And it's in their words. And it should be something that when the CFO comes to them nine months later and goes, so why are we spending a million dollars on BetterUp again? Can you please help me understand that? that your champion and your exec sponsor can say, yes, here is why we're spending a million dollars on BetterUp and it's worth every penny. And it's a this, ca- this pyramid cascade from their big why down into their program goals that are, again, in their own words, and then it's supported by the measures and outcomes that we're going to be watching to prove the business case. And my favorite question in success planning it, when you're trying to nail down those metrics and outcomes is, you know, Taking a particular goal that's kind of in the middle of the pyramid. Great. That makes total sense. How would you know that was happening in your organization? If your team members had greater psychological safety with their managers, how would you know? Where would that show up? Oh, well, oftentimes that's a question they haven't thought of yet. And that's where it gets fun is figuring out, okay, so... If we were to actually succeed in this, let's assume we're going to succeed, how would you know? And it's often in our world it's it's going to be things like internal engagement surveys, in retention numbers, in promotion percentages, in your bench for succession planning. And then we also complement that with a with all of our rich outcomes data from our side, but it's really important to not just focus on your own product outcomes that you can show. We have incredible ability to show outcomes with our product, but they're still our data and thus we'll always have a level of skepticism. It's super important to get the customer to articulate for themselves that if this is working, here's the things I'm going to be watching. And those are often long lagging indicators and they're complex. Like we are not the only thing in their business impacting that outcome in, in their dashboards and such. And we don't have to be, we don't have to claim 100% attribution for improving, you know, retention or employee engagement or reducing employee burnout. We're a factor. And you know what? Those things have, they're big ticket items that drive enormous value for their business. We only need a sliver of attribution in that percentage to be well worth the investment they've paid. Definitely. So, we don't have to claim full impact and attribution on whatever we're trying to move the needle on.
1: You can probably get everyone to agree that you played
0: a role and we played you know, a role. the percentage
1: it could be up for debate, but as long as yeah. everyone agrees that there was a role. And I want to go back to just to to reemphasize cuz I love the concept of the big why because the way you can think about it is every Customer you sell to, the key champion will be asked that question at some point or another. Yes. New, you know, there's a change of stakeholder, there's, you know, a pandemic and you need to cut costs. There's all these different things. No matter what situation you're in, if you are a CSM, your key champion is going to be asked why you're spending X amount on that. And if your customer can't explain it themselves or they need to get you on the call to explain it, you're going to, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Exactly. So, Right off the bat, empowering them to come up with the answer themselves the way that you guys do in a workshop setting where it's their words. That means they're going to remember it and they believe it. They're not just memorizing what you told them is incredibly powerful.
0: Yes. I love that. That's why I've, for, I, for a long time, I've been focusing on this idea of articulate, helping them articulate it. They have the vision or they wouldn't have bought your product. Mm-hmm. Helping them articulate it is what matters.
1: How often do your, does it change in terms of like, okay, sales team is pitching them on XYZ, they're really excited about those things, but then they go into this workshop with you and the CS team, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, no, we, it turns out we actually want to accomplish this thing over here. Those things are nice, but this is the need to have. Does that ever happen, or is it usually a pretty organic process, like a flow from the sales teams to CS team in terms of the outcomes that they're looking
0: for? We rarely see a big pivot. What we... Often, see, is that they just haven't gotten to this far. They are the nature of our product is that people can get really bought into the vision that we're selling without having to do that work on their side yet. And it's often good enough for the initial sale, and that often doesn't stand up a year later at renewal time. So they can get excited and they have a vision enough to kind of move, move, make this initial move. And it's really important to try and capture that vision and articulate it right then while it's fresh and just help them get to that point of these are my words. This is what I'm striving for. And it's in terms of my company's vision. I'm actually just pulling up our success planning enablement slide that we use when we're teaching our teams how to do this. And a few things we kind of call out is a good big why should be. It should be specific yet far-reaching, so they should be able to see how this has a, a short-term impact, but it's going to last us for one to three years. Like it's not in it's not a six-month goal. It's also not something that's going to take ten years. You know, so it should be mission critical. It should be tied into something that it matters within your big organizational initiatives that are going on. Otherwise, this isn't worth spending a lot of money on. You know, so helping attach it to some big initiatives that are happening in their organization. And then again, related to that, making sure that it's timely, that it is connecting the dots to what it, where their big priorities are today. And it can evolve. We are writing it down, but it's not in stone. It's probably not going to change every month. We definitely want to refresh it and make sure things are true kind of at each year point, but it might change mid-year, especially if there's big shifts in their organization and their priorities, or if there's a shift in leadership. And so having this written down, we have a one slide format that we use to share with, allows us to constantly bring it back at every QBR and be like, yo, is this still what's important? Has anything changed in your organ? Usually the answer is no, but man, if it is, it is of, of existential importance that you capture that and you pivot with them. And the process allows us to do that and then allows us to filter our enormous amount of data through the lens of that success plan and show them, here's the stuff that really matters to you. There's an enormous appendix with all the data you could ever want way back there. But here's the things that really speak to your vision and your desired outcomes. Let's focus here. And it's really powerful.
1: I love that. And it's a great place to end the episode on. I I wish I'd had you as a CS coach when I was CSMing those years ago, but this has been awesome. I've learned a ton and I'm excited to share these with folks. So thank you so much for
0: joining me today, Porter. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Ben.
1: Awesome. And I have to get some good recommendations from you for games I need to try. Oh boy, there's a long list. Excellent. Can't wait. Uh, maybe we'll do a blog. Thank you. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit Catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I Love You.